0: This is the Bill Kelly
1: Show podcast. Uh, Yesterday, of course, we told you about the latest Ipsos poll that was done for Global News that indicated that uh, the NDP had made strong gains, very strong gains. And uh, the Progressive Conservative Party had actually slipped a little bit, uh, depending on which poll you read. There's another poll out uh, yesterday that actually had the NDP ahead of the conservatives. Uh, so try to get some sense out of this. We're pleased to welcome back to the program Barry Kay, political science professor at Wilfrid Laurier University, who's been analyzing this. Barry, thank you so much for the time. It's great to have you with us today. Good morning, Bill. You you said there was going to be a possibility of some shifts when we talked a week or so ago that uh, you didn't think there was a whole lot of room for the conservatives to grow, but you did think there was a potential for the NDP. So I, I'm, I'm guessing you're not surprised by this.
2: Well, oh, I've been surprised by everything. <laughs> um, I just know that as a student of public opinion that there is something to the notion of momentum. Um, and the NDP was moving at that time, and they've been moving ever since, and they may still be moving. Uh, we have this uh, website, LizPop.ca, that I probably mentioned before, mm-hmm. where we do um, have a map of the different writings and so forth. That, that got posted just uh, yesterday based on polls that had been available through really last week, the end of last week. And at that time, when you aggregated the polls, uh, you put them together, and the NDP was five points behind the um, the, the Conservatives, and that represented dramatic change. Remembering that um, goodness, a month ago, the Conservatives had a 16-point lead over the Liberals and a 20-point lead over the NDP. And that all, all, seems to have all gone away, and it may still be going away. So it may be that the NDP is rising still, and it may be that they will form the government. But based on the polls that are, based on these numbers you know, that surprised me at the time, not, not surprised me in terms of direction, but this, this is moving much faster than, than this usually happens. So to that extent, I am surprised. Um, uh, that indeed, um, the safest conclusion I could make at the moment, and we have two weeks before the election, it'll be uh, two weeks tomorrow. Uh, is that in fact we may be heading for minority government, which itself will be very interesting. Um, the an NDP lead of one point or even two or three points doesn't necessarily translate into the NDP. Uh, forgetting about an NDP government, even an NDP plurality in seats, the NDP uh, does very well in the areas it's strong: northern Ontario, urban centres, Hamilton, certainly the the core Hamilton oh, yeah. writings that you're familiar with, mm-hmm. Windsor and so forth, uh... Um, and they're going to win those seats by big margins. Um, but the Conservatives may win more seats by smaller margins, and that indeed the, the um, NDP having a few more votes province-wide, if that's the case, um, doesn't necessarily mean. Well, once it got to be a five or six point lead, I think that would be different. But if it's yesterday's poll just had had one point lead, I'm not sure that that leads that that means the, an NDP uh, government. But I think what it's starting to look more and more like, even though in the the numbers people will see on our website at the moment. We've got the um, Conservatives at 69, the NDP at 39. Um, that indeed, And those numbers would, would change if we had sort of been able to incorporate these last polls. We'll have new numbers up uh, probably early next week. Um, the, but uh, what it suggests to me is I think minority government is a very real possibility. I'm not sure the uh, party leaders are going to want to speculate about who it would take to support them in that. And this all becomes very hypothetical in the days immediately before an election. But if I was guessing at the moment, I think that's the most likely Outcome. I wouldn't be surprised if the Conservatives have more seats than the NDP, because the NDP vote, um, while it's strong where they, they are, isn't is efficiently distributed across the province. Um, and I think there are many more seats, especially in uh, in the 905 uh, around Toronto. Mm-hmm. That's, that's where um, the determination of who's going to come first and whether it's going to be majority or minority. It, if I had a, a sense of how Mississauga and Brampton and uh, some of those areas were going. Um, uh, I, I, I would have a little more confidence in all of this. But if I was guessing at the moment, I, I would say minority government is perhaps as good a bet as any.
1: Which is interesting. You're the first one that's been brave enough to actually mention that. Because <laughs> I don't know if too many other people are even con- are comfortable with that sort of a concept. But but that brings the liberals back into play if there was a, if were a minority. And we're talking speculatively here. Yep. We have to underscore that. Uh, you know, I mean, one of the subtexts of uh, this discussion over the last couple of weeks has been the, the decimation of the Liberal Party, or at least that's what it looks like. Sure. But all of a sudden, uh, they may actually have the balance of power if, in fact, uh, they're the third party and there's a minority government.
2: Yeah, uh, min- yeah. minority government a month ago would have seemed would the NDP support the Liberals, and now it's with the Liberals support the NDP. Uh, and uh, look, before we know what the actual result is, uh, I think uh, Wynn is finished as party leader and they're going to want to have a convention. They may not want to have... Uh, a new election anytime soon, so they may want to. Uh, that, uh, again, I really don't want to go too far down this road of we're really jumping down the rabbit hole, talking about what's going to happen after this election that won't, what, you know, that won't take place for for another two weeks. Uh, but given that, depending on what the numbers are, I, I could imagine a, a, a poor third party performance by the Liberals uh, being such that they would want to keep the legislature going at least for a little while, um, and that they would try. I, I, it depends in part on. How ideological the governing agenda, be it an NDP minority government or a conservative minority government, how that is and whether other parties can actually hold their nose and support things, even though it's in their, their political interest to keep the legislature going. But I would imagine in that situation, the liberals wouldn't want to have a snap election in the immediate future.
1: No, because when a party gets knocked down, like it looks like they're going to. Uh, first of all, you're right. I mean, there has to be some sort of exorcism, and at the same time, they want to recreate themselves and say we're not that party anymore, and that's going to take time.
2: Yeah, and I'm not sure who the and it, we'll see uh, which of the others. Yasenakty from Ottawa, but I think his writing is very much in question. Um, a lot of the people who might be successors to um, to win are maybe in jeopardy as to whether they can even hold their seats. So until we know how that all plays out, I think uh, we should uh, not be too clear about what where the Liberal Party is going to go in terms of direction. But And again, it's sort of fun to sort of speculate about this, but we shouldn't take ourselves too seriously about uh, what the world's going to look like uh, two, two or three weeks hence.
1: You talked about momentum a second ago, Barry. How does, on a philosophical level, maybe if you want to get direct about these three parties, that'd be great too, but how do you develop that? I mean, there, there seems to be a swing. Uh, I mean, certainly before the writ was dropped, it looked like the Progressive Conservatives had the momentum. There's clearly been a shift in that momentum right now. How did that occur?
2: Yeah, yeah that really is interesting, and um, I think you've got to lay it at, um, at, at Doug Ford. Um, Doug Ford took a 20-point lead over the NDP, and now it's a tie, and may, maybe even a point behind, uh, in just three weeks. And he didn't really even say and do very much. And perhaps that was part of the problem. He didn't create us, I don't think he was really prepared. Uh, he doesn't have a, a history of uh, elective politics. Anyway, he was, he, uh, you know, alderman. He did run for mayor in Toronto. But he does not have a great deal of political experience. He's very wooden in presentation. I think the Ontario population seems to be very apprehensive. I actually attribute, remembering that Andrea Horvath is the same person who was the NDP leader through two uh, losing, not particularly significant electoral performances in the past. Has she transformed that much? Maybe she's a little, uh, you know, more polished than before. I lay a lot of this at the the feet of the conservatives. Uh, I think Ford, at the time, I thought Ford was a mistake. I thought Elliot should, would have been a much more effective leader. And what, what's interesting is that Ford has just basically gone into hiding, been very vague and uh, uh, about what he, what he knew and what he would talk about. He talks about uh, efficiencies and tax cuts, but without any spec- specificity at all. Um, I, 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 again, I. Put the NDP rise as much at the feet of Doug Ford and the Conservatives as as anything that the NDP did right. And you know, when we look at this historically, you go, "This will be the fourth election in a row where the Conservatives have run a campaign that, where in fact, they, they sank from their performance at the beginning." And there were different factors: John Tory and religious schools, and then uh, some of the mistakes Hudak made with mm-hmm. regards to job cuts and so forth. But this is, uh, to me, this is more. We know that the Liberals were in trouble. That was clear even at the beginning of the campaign. The Conservatives had a huge opportunity. And in the space of less than a month, uh, in fact, they have taken what looked like not just a victory but a landslide victory of enormous proportions. And I'm not saying that they won't have the largest number of seats; they may well. But boy, have they ever blown it during this particular campaign? And that's this is the fourth time
1: in a row. You've mentioned to us uh, in the past that uh, more often than not, I mean, people like yourself and me and 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 others that are, are political animals and just uh, fascinated by this, we pay attention daily to this. Most people don't. And and the consensus point a lot of folks seems to be the average voter doesn't really start paying attention until about two weeks before they have to vote. Well, that's now. Uh, and they're going to look at these numbers, and this may be the first time they've opened their eyes to this. And, and Sunday may be the first and only time they actually see these guys debate. I don't know if that bodes well for Doug Ford.
2: The debate's big, and uh, that's right. Up till now, I don't think Ford has basically run a kind of a hide-and-seek campaign where he hasn't wanted to say anything very controversial, where he's limited press access. Um, and that, that's what you do when you've got a big lead. So that either, it, it made some sense from the perspective of back in March and early April. We're now in May. We're not even through the month of May, and we see that, uh, that it hasn't worked very well. If I was betting on performance, I wouldn't think that Ford is going to dominate this debate. It just isn't his style. He does not have a mastery of policy. Um, we'll see how well, so far, Horvath has done, has done well. I will say this about Horvath. I think she will be under much more um, uh, 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 in, intense uh, scrutiny now. In those these last two weeks, and she may do some things to upset people. But you know, when you you talk about the last two weeks, sure. As we get closer to the campaign, people are going to pay more attention to the campaign. But in the last couple of weeks, we've already seen dramatic change. So some people have been thinking about it. Mm -hmm. Maybe not everybody, but some people have been thinking about it lately, and it's led to this tide toward the NDP. I'm not saying it's going to continue. It may even roll back some. Um, And indeed, the uh, the the polls themselves are just not just flashpoints but really estimates. You, you've got to look at those with plus or minus three in any case. But there's no question all the polls show that the NDPs on the rise and the conser- the Liberals were sort of in third place almost throughout once we got going. Uh, but the Conservatives have come down. come down some. The, not as much as the Liberals but they've come down some. Um, and I think uh, if I were a Conservative I wouldn't be particularly happy with my party leader.
1: Well, One of the other elements of the global poll that was done for them by uh, Ipsos indicated uh, and, and this is the number that I find a little bit un- hard to take. Fifty-four percent of the people they polled said they haven't really made up their mind of where, where they're going to go. Do you buy that?
2: I guess. Um, I don't know. That just means some of them are changeable. They're, express- they're expressing so, some of those people may be, sort of, uh, be weak. If, in fact, the scenario is that they're unhappy with Ford more than they're fond of um, Horvath, they are people who may very well change. And if Horvath has a bad performance in the debate, that'll be really the last big test. If Horvath has a bad performance in the debate, they may be prepared to move back. I, I think that's certainly one of the factors. It's just that Ford's performance over the last month is such that it's hard to believe that he's going to dominate this debate on Sunday. Um, he's been very vague, and it's not just his content, content's bad enough, but he's just got this wooden style. Where he really looks like a little puppet raising his hands. Uh, and I think that he just, uh, visually, I don't think he, he can he certainly hasn't resonated with the public. I have a hunch this the NDP rise has as much to do with that as anything.
1: And and again, uh, to, to go back to the poll results, I mean, them that love Doug Ford and the PCs, love them a lot. I mean, that's which is what you've talked about in the past, Barry, that that, that support is entrenched. That's not going anywhere, I guess, to a certain extent. That core is always going to be there. But it just seems uh, to, this, this is the characterization that we've talked about for years and years, that there's a, there's a consensus in Ontario that they kind like of like middle-of-the-road stuff, uh, and they they tend to shy away from extremes, and I think that's what they're looking for. Uh, and they're kicking the tires with both the NDP and the Conservatives right now.
2: Uh, Ford, for whatever reason, rightly or wrongly, is has been off-putting. I, uh, uh, I I thought the attacks on him from the other parties were not nearly as vociferous as they might be. I thought that there would be more reference to the um, the example from south of the border that uh, some people like in the yeah. school in the China shop. Um, there was a, uh, an interesting article I don't know all that much about, or didn't know all that much about Ford's uh, performance in City Hall, but the, uh, the last McLeans that came out uh, suggested that he was not particularly into the details of policy, uh, that in fact he frequently, as is the case with our neighbor to the South leader, um, that he frequently sort of did things on whim without sort of thinking through the implications. I'm surprised that people have become as disaffected with him as quickly as they have, but in fact, they perhaps are reading something in either from the case of, uh, of Trump in the States or perhaps his brother's performance, although there's been very little reference to that either. It seems like they, Trump and, excuse me, uh, Ford and the conservatives kind of exploded without having to be pushed particularly in a, in a harsh direction. Though the other good thing about Horvath, she's not gone negative and she's not had to. She's basically kept above it, uh, above the fray more or less. She's left it to win to make the attacks upon Upon Ford, and uh, of course, it hasn't helped the Liberal Party particularly, but some of that uh, undoubtedly has resonated in the favor of the NDP.
1: That first debate uh, that was on CP24, Andrew Horvath was almost ignored. Uh, there were a number of times where Kathleen Wynne actually had her back to her. She was going yeah. back and forth with uh, with Ford. It's going to be interesting to see the dynamic on Sunday night, just who goes after whom here.
2: I'm not sure how many people saw that debate. I thought the Conservatives basically sitting on their lead had agreed a couple of debates that they thought and hoped nobody would watch. Because remember, that was sort of at the dinner hour. And yeah. Going- about Toronto issues, I'm not sure many people, particularly outside of Toronto, would have paid attention to that. But you're right. But the the fact is, Horvath did look positive during that campaign, where the others were attacking each other, thinking that those were the real enemies of each other. You know, a few weeks later, we've got a very different uh, kind of perspective on this. Oh, right, I think the debate on Sunday is going to be huge. Um, but again, based on the performance up till now, uh, there's no reason to think that uh, Ford is going to outshine Horvath. If anything, just the opposite. And maybe that might suggest that the the momentum to the NDP will roll on even faster.
1: For the and again, there are hardcore Liberal supporters out there, and and, and that's a pretty solid base. Although the numbers are pretty small at this stage, uh, is is there anybody who is thinking of voting Liberal now that's going to say, "Well, okay, forget it. They're they're in third place. There's no way they're going to make up that difference. I got to look at something else."
2: If they were concerned about a conservative majority government, that's where strategic voting comes in, and that's why, more typically, New Democrats have been in third place and have Mm -hmm. been in many ridings when they didn't think they were competitive would vote liberal to block the conservatives. Now the shoe's going to be on the other foot, and it may be, in fact, some liberals may do that. A lot of it depends on the voting history of the riding. In the case of the Hamilton area particularly, the three NDP ridings are pretty secure for that party anyway. Hamilton West becomes um, more competitive. I'm not sure the NDP historically is is likely, although I guess it's won at the odd time, but has is is is, is well positioned. I know in the uh, the Kitchener Waterloo area there's a riding, Kitchener Centre, which a month ago I would have thought the NDP would run a poor third. Now it's quite possible that they're um, that they're in, in first place. And certainly it's going to be very a very close race. So I'm just sort of um just quickly while we're on the phone looking up the uh, the voting history of um, Hamilton West the last time out to kind of get a sense of the um, uh and that was i guess tied in with um, Ancaster before Ancaster that's yeah. um Westdale let's see
1: and that would be Ted McBeacon who's the been there for about behind. seven
2: um yeah it, i i'm not sure the NDP is is paw, is close there i would think liberals in Hamilton West are still probably going to vote liberal not thinking that the NDP has a better chance to beat the conservatives but if in fact the question becomes do they want if the real effective ballot choice because the liberals are not going to win this election uh, is whether we they're going to have a conservative majority or a conservative minority that's when third party supporters which right now are liberals start to think about whether or not they want to um, waste their vote quote unquote or vote for somebody who has a chance of blocking ford if there's a real fear of a ford majority um that's certainly something that could enter their minds
1: uh, next week's going to be very telling. Barry, thanks as always. Great to get your analysis on this. Bye-bye. Thanks. Barry Kay, of course, political science professor at Wilfrid Laurier University.
0: You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML.
1: One of the key issues in the, this Ontario election, of course, is going to be hydro. And and we've talked at great length of, about the crisis, and I think it is a crisis, that's facing many Ontarians uh, because of hydro, hydro rates. Uh, we, we've talked with some of the families that have had the hydro shut off because uh, they couldn't pay these extraordinary bills that they had accumulated, and on and on it goes. But well, of course, the, the the wind government responded to that and cut rates uh, initially, and uh, they've come up with a plan that they say is going to keep rates lower, well, at least for a little while until after the election, but uh, they're mortgaging our future. Well, you'd think, okay, well, let's see what the opposition parties have got to offer, because there's got to be a better way. Uh, and when you start analyzing uh, both the NDP and the Progressive Conservative Plan and weigh it against the Liberal Plan, uh, it's it's not very impressive, any of them, really. I want to bring Tom Adams into the conversation, independent energy and environmental consultant who's been eyeing this for the last uh, number of years now. Tom, how are you doing this morning? Just great, Bill. How are you? Good, good. I'm getting very disappointed and discouraged as I start to read through some of the details. And and I guess one of the scariest things about this, Tom, is if, if I take all three leaders at their word, I don't think any one of the three of them even understand the file.
3: Uh. Y- you know, and something that strikes me about this: uh, um, the, both the Liberals or the, the the Conservatives and the NDP have had this long uh, uh, time sitting on the opposition benches, right? Yeah, they could they could see the electricity file on fire. that the, they could see the Liberals going from from scandal to screw up. Uh, uh, you know and, and on to mismanagement on to you know you know the taint of corruption just uh, criminality of you, 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 so so the liberals were were providing a lot of opportunity for the uh, both opposition parties to to analyze the problems uh, come up with their own solutions right? So now you know, we roll into the election. Everybody knew it was coming, right? You know, this is a, you know, fixed election date, right? So that, you know, the parties can plan and they can develop their uh, uh, platforms. And so then, you know, the platforms roll out. And what do we find? <laughs> you know, we open the, the can of worms and you, you, you would think that given the long time they that opposition parties had to think about their solutions their uh, their their presentation to voters that there would be some substance worth discussing and and yet there's there's almost nothing in the in the platforms of of either of the major opposition parties that really offers any yeah, any serious relief.
1: Well, and, and the two, the Liberal plan, I think many of us may be acquainted with, because the Premier's been you know, being, banging the drum for that for the last little while. But when you look at the NDP and the, and the Conservative plans on, in this situation, I mean, it, it seems this Andrea Horvath's plan is really uh, predicated on the fact that she's going to buy back all those hydro shares that uh, that have been sold off over the last little while, figuring she can do it in only a couple of years. And I have yet to run across an economist anywhere, Tom, that thinks that's feasible.
3: <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. You know that that so so she she's going to buy her her you know uh, uh, so like just without the color commentary just going straight to her plan. What she says she's going to do is she's going to use the dividends that still come to the Ontario government from Hydro One and use that to buy back the shares. Um, uh, okay, the problem is that the dividends that come from Hydro One are are already flowing directly to ratepayers. Yeah um uh so that money is already spent if she plans to use it for another purpose okay you know in her case she wants to buy back the shares um uh what she hasn't explained is how she fills the hole that was created by shifting the dollars from where they are currently being spent on behalf of ratepayers every dollar from hydro one dividends that comes to the Ontario government flows straight through to the rate payer. She says she's going to give us a 30% reduction in rates, uh, apparently for all customers, business, all residential customers. Um, uh, and central to her plan is this idea that somehow she's going to invent a way of spending hydro one dividend dollars twice. Other key elements of her plan, make are, are just as ridiculous. She, 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 she's also saying part of how she's going to get a 30% reduction in rates for everybody is by causing more cost transfers between customer classes. So for example, um, r- uh, rural uh, customers that currently pay higher distribution rates because of their low density um, relative to urban customers are going to be brought, uh, you know, are, are, are going to get a, a, a discount in their distribution rates to bring it down to urban prices. Okay, well, somebody's got to pay for that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, she's going to get rid of time of use rates. Uh, oh, Okay, well, time of use rates is bringing a certain amount of revenue. If, if she just sets the rate lower, like somebody's got to pay for that. It, you know, so like the, the NDP have, just clearly got not a thought about how any of this gets implemented.
1: Well, as you say, they're double spending in some of these things, which is not surprising, I guess, Tom, given the revelation we found out uh, earlier this week about their budget uh, process and their calculations where they, they, you know, they, they, well, millions of dollars, billions of dollars that they, they oops, we, we forgot to put the decimal over here. Is that, oh, was that an asset? We didn't know that. Uh, that doesn't do a whole lot to give you any confidence in their ability to try to manage the books or manage this file.
3: No it, it, it doesn't I, you know so I, you know I'm, I'm gravely concerned about what the NDPs pro, uh, uh, pr- promoting. That doesn't make me any more comfortable with what the Ford team is presenting.
1: Which is really talking points at this stage. I mean you know which is typical I guess of what the Ford campaign has been doing so far. he's promising to lower rates. he's promising to fire the CEO of Hydro One uh, and there's probably a very strong argument to get rid of Mayo Schmidt, but that's not going to do anything for hydro rates.
3: No, no. The, 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 all the Hydro One executive, uh, a, a, a executive compensation and, uh, you know, the $6 million man and all that stuff, none of that is relevant from a from a, a cost-to-rate-payer point of view. Um, uh, what is relevant to a cost-to-rate-payer point of view is Doug Ford's announcement that he now endorses the Kathleen Wynne 25% rate cut but just says it, the only problem with that rate cut is it doesn't go far enough. He's going to add a further 12% rate to cut to the 25 that's on offer from Kathleen Wynn. So a 37% rate cut. Sounds fantastic. Until you scratch the surface of how all of this smoke and mirrors comes about. Right? The, the, the you know, you don't have to take it from me. The auditor general and the financial accountability officer have ripped to shreds the the, the Kathleen win twenty five rate twenty five percent rate reduction, and when they were in opposition, um, uh, you, you know the the stronger horses amongst the PC caucus, Vic Fideli, for example, uh, um, uh, strongly endorsed. The, uh, the criticisms expressed by the financial accountability officer and the auditor general in criticizing the Kathleen Wynn 25% phony rate cut. So, but now Doug Ford flip-flops and instead of opposing, you know, and, and, and instead of supporting the auditor general's analysis, he now endorses Kathleen Wynn's analysis. And he he says he's going to take it 12% more. Well, where does the 12% come from? Not only has Doug Ford endorsed the worst elements of the the, the liberal plan, but he's also endorsed the worst elements of the NDP plan because his 12% reduction largely comes from Following along, Andrea Horvath's idea that you can spend the dividend dollars from Hydro One twice. It's just, it's idiocy. The, the, the Ford plan is just completely irresponsible.
1: Well, and it's the, I guess the thing that we have to take away from all three of these plans is it's not doable, really, is it, Tom? I mean, the, they can say what they want here and say, don't worry, we'll figure something out later on. But the fact is, is they can't. Uh, you, like you say, you can't spend a, a tax dollar twice. It, it, and you can't spend their, a revenue dollar twice a, a th- dividend dollar. Th-
3: th- that's exactly correct. We we have three carnival barkers, each of them trying to out bark each other. They don't care what they're saying. They're th- this is just a a shallow you know grab for power. Um. Uh. It, it, unfortunately, because. The the you know there's they, they've reached some kind of a consensus of stupidity, uh, each one with a more foolish plan than the next. What does the voter have to turn to? Where, you know, where where do we go um, uh, if you don't think that the electricity system is being well run by the politician? Y- y- you know, like y you know. If, if, you, you you might, I mean, there is an argument that the liberal plan is the least irresponsible of the three of them.
1: Yeah, who thought we'd be saying that three months ago?
3: Oh, I, mean, <laughs> so, I, like I can barely form
1: the word. I know. I know. And therein lies the problem. Uh, because what they're all doing right now is relying on bullet points. We're going to lower rates. Hey, that guy, that catches my attention. Hey, I'm going to fire that guy that's making $6 million. Hey, that's a great idea. But, you know, the, the thing that's always missing from this, as you said, Tom, is the paperwork. Where's the cost? How are you going to pay for this? And I and, think and one of the most telling moments, and I'll go all the way back to the one of the PC leadership debates, uh, when uh, Tanya Granick allen was saying, I'm going to rip all those windmills out of the ground and we're going to tear up those contracts. And Doug Ford was saying, yeah, that's a great idea. And Christine Elliott, trying to be the voice of reason, says, do you guys do not understand there are legal ramifications to this? That uh, that's, may cost you more. You better watch what you wish for. And the Mayo Schmidt example is a classic example. The CEO, he can, Doug Ford, if he becomes premier, can go ahead and fire the board. It's going to cost over $10 million. Yeah. That,
3: that, yeah, yeah that's absolutely correct. You know, Tanya Allen was saying, Oh, she was going to get her tractor like her farm tractor, yeah. And she was going to pull over the wind turbines. Like, you know, first of all, that'd be vandalism. Um, uh, but, and, but it's just, it's, it's silly, you know, uh, um, uh electioneering, uh, you know, by a careless speaker, careless politician. Um, but but that was not the low watermark for, for, the, for the PCs in, 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 in you know, how, how low they would go on this, uh, you know, this whole uh, hydro mess. They, they, they found ways of digging the hole deeper, even worse than that.
1: So what's the takeaway from this? I mean, if one of these people is going to be the next premier and and I, I, the, the, the the rationale that I'm looking at here, and when I look at the promises that they're making, Tom and and the incomplete paperwork they've got on this, is that we have to come to the conclusion as difficult difficult as it might be that no matter who becomes the next premier, they're not going to fix this.
3: You know, some of my very good friends, uh, um, uh, you, you know, think that 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 you know breaking up the old Ontario Hydro was a terrible mistake, and that we we need a, a publicly controlled uh, a pow- power system, um, uh, and you know, and, and government needs to be in charge so that we, the power system operates in the public interest. Then you look at what you know the kind of. The, the politicians that are vying for the job uh, of being the ceo of the power system and, and you say to yourself would you trust any of them you, 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 you know to plug to, to, to in a household light bulb they, 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 the, 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 the politicians just can't be trusted with our power system just look at them just, just listen to what they say and, and say how much would you trust these people with the the lifeblood of the 21st century. We cannot have a successful modern society unless we have a a reliable supply of affordable electricity. And yet the way Ontario's going about its business with electricity, we're putting all our trust in the politicians and, and the politicians are showing us that we really have little reason to trust them with this heavy responsibility
1: here's the here's the thing if I'll, I'll try to capsulize this in one sentence and I'd, I'd get your comment on this. Basically, if we could characterize all three leaders and what they're trying to do here. Uh, Doug Ford says he's going to fire the Hydro-1 brass. Uh, Andrea Horvath is going to buy Hydro-1 back. Uh, Kathleen Wynn's going to borrow to try to shrink our bills. None of them are financially feasible. Uh, None of them are going to work. Yet we still seem to to get stuck on the bullet points because the overriding, uh, I guess, common thread through all three of those plans, Tom, is just don't ask me how, okay? Believe me, but don't ask me how
3: yeah i I, th- I think that's right you know it's a kind of a trust me right uh uh that that, that they're they're putting to the voter um uh that uh, i'm a caring uh politician and i will i uh, i'm not going to do bad things like those other guys uh, I'll, I'll be good for you uh, uh just trust me with your vote i i i i am I'm just so disappointed uh, you, you know uh, ontario so badly needs an adult conversation about our electricity future. We, we face some tough country ahead, okay? Um, in, the, in the near future, the rates we pay in 2018 are going to look like the good old days. Um, uh, we are, we've got some hard slugging coming ahead. We, we got, we, we're going to have to, at some point, we're going to have to pay for these unpaid hydro bills that we're racking up. At, to the tune of, of something like 2.6 or 2.7 billion dollars per year under the, the Kathleen Wynne so-called Fair Hydro plan, not very fair in my books. Mm-hmm. Um, on top of that, we've got, we got we got aging nuclear power plants that we got to deal with. We got uh, 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 you, you know we got all this surplus power that we have to figure out how to manage. We got some a lot of bad contracts we have to carefully find ways of. Unwinding ourselves in a cost uh, uh, advantaging way. You, you, these are these are all heavy responsibilities. They all require homework, discipline, caution. Uh, um, uh, you, you know, listening to advice. Uh, um, you know, making prudent decisions. <laughs> and, and, and but like seriously, none of the of the the, the political options on offer in this election give me any confidence whatsoever that 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 these political parties have the wherewithal to handle such heavy responsibilities again you know coming back to this point um i for in case anyone hasn't noticed we actually need electricity we, (laughs) we just can't have a you know a nice place to live in Ontario unless we've got the juice
1: when are we going to learn? I got about a minute left. here. How many years? I can. Do you want me to go back? I mean, Jean Chrétien says I'm going to cancel the GST. He gets elected, re-elected, and says, "Well, I, I guys, I can't." Uh, you know, Stephen Harper says I'm not going to cut income trusts if you vote for me. As soon as he got elected, boom, he he, he tore them apart. Uh, Dalton McGuinty says I'm going to, you know, get the tear up the 407 contract. Got elected. No, the lawyers say we can't do this. It. You know, I feel like this is like the Charlie Brown comic strip, really, Tom. Uh, you know, we want to kick the football, and Lucy keeps pulling it out, and we fall on our butts all the time, but we keep going to do it again. Which, we it's, it's the same thing over and over again.
3: You know, if, 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 if either of these people, uh, um, uh, 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 Doug Ford or Andrea Horvath, comes back, you know, gets elected, right? They become premier, and then they say, oh, we, we had no idea the books were so bad. Right, so we can't deliver on our on our electricity rate cut promises. If, if either of those people says that, the the thing to throw back at them in their faces is the records of their own party. In, in the case of the PCs, you know their finance critic, Vic but I've referred to him before. It, it, in this conversation, one of the things that he has done that's distinguished him has an outstanding representative, you know, in in the in the parliament. Mm-hmm. Um, um, he, he's published a, a a series of of books every year, an annual report called Focus on Finance, and he has ripped apart the electricity finances of the of the province in great detail, and. Also, the overall deficit problems and the whole financial story. It's a really, really excellent piece of work. Um, um, uh, but there's no way that the PCs can, without grave embarrassment, claim that they didn't know that the books were real bad.
1: And they lies the problem. Uh, we'll see. Two weeks we have to go in this election time. We'll see. Maybe somebody will get, to, uh, get the religion and, and find out what's going on. We'll stay in touch. appreciate this today. So good, though. Thank you. Tom Adams, uh, Independent Energy and Environmental Consultant.
0: You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show,
1: weekdays from 9 to noon
0: on AM 900 CHML.
1: A lot of election talk, obviously. We're about two weeks away from the vote here in Ontario. And uh, if the NDP are going to be successful, and boy, they're certainly surging in the polls these days, uh, one of the things they have to do is exercise the ghost of Bob Ray and the government. Because it seems that any time, in, in, right across the country, there's a chance of an NDP forming a government, uh, invariably, they invoke the, uh, the, the you know, the ghoulish Bob Ray government of the early 1990s here in Ontario and say, see, that's what NDP governments do. Uh, are we still hanging on to that? Is it still going to be a factor in this? Tim Harper, a freelance writer and editor, uh, writes about that in the Toronto Star today. He joins us on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about this. Morning, Tim. How are you today? I'm good, Bill. How are you? Good. Uh, it, you know, it must be election time if they're talking about the Ray government once again. It seems to be a tradition, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, it does. Um, generally speaking, any time uh, an NDP leader has uh, so much as a pulse, uh, federally or, or uh, provincially, especially here, but virtually any province, um, uh, the the Bob Ray monster is invoked, uh, the, uh, the scary tales from the uh, 90 to 95 uh, NDP government in Ontario, and um, it generally works, uh, but I'm wondering whether... Uh, uh, like all boogeymen, sooner or later they die, and I'm 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 believing that I'm seeing the end of the uh, <laughs> the Bob Ray monster, and it could be consigned now to the history books. Uh, but we'll find out June seventh. But I think Andrea Horvath is uh, and our uh, new Democrats are being judged on their own merits and their own campaign and their own platform, and are not weighed down by that goes to Bob Ray, um, as previous NDP
1: campaigns have been. We've both run into, I think, people over the last number of years, me just a couple of weeks ago, a, a chance meeting at a, at a shopping mall here in Hamilton, uh, who people, were NDP supporters back in those days, and they are still bitter about it. I'm telling you, Tim. Uh, I mean, I just merely brought it up, and all of a sudden, I mean, their faces got red, in those Ray days, how could he tear those contracts? I figured, whoa, whoa, Jill, it's a long time ago. But they won't let go of it. But as you rightly point out in your piece today, uh, that number is shrinking. Uh, there's an awful lot of people that would be voting in this election on June 7th that weren't even born when he was in bur- in office.
0: Yeah, and there'd be also a huge uh, voting cord that, that well-born, would have been playing in sandboxes and worrying about, you know, grade five uh, English tests instead of what was going on at Queen's Park, so they would have really no memory of the, the Ray government. But you raise a, a, an interesting point. One of the reasons that this... Um, uh... This bogeyman of uh, uh, Bob Ray has been able to persist for so many years. It was nobody, the, the social contract, which became Ray Days, which you just mentioned, um, was such an act of betrayal uh, to uh, not only the labor movement, but so many uh, people who backed uh, that, that government that nobody wanted to defend Bob Ray after he left office. He was really left twisting in the wind. Um, So there was no uh, full-throated defense uh, or or reminders of anything positive that government did. And then, of course, the the lack of uh, defense of that government from New Democrats was exacerbated. When Ray himself turned around and became a liberal, so there were no New Democrats left uh, around who wanted to defend that government. And, in fact, I, I, I was reminded yesterday when I was writing the piece that even a federal NDP leader, Tom Mulcair, in 2015, would go around the country telling audiences that New Democrats are fiscally responsible, and then he'd say, "Yeah, but with one exception." But he's a liberal, and it would it would, uh, it would get um, laughter from the NDP partisans uh, in the room. So you know, this was a um, this was a, a, a tough government to live down because uh, uh, it's only been in recent years that Ray and others have actually. Uh, been defending what what the government did from 90, 1990
1: to ninety five. Well, you give it some context in the piece uh, today, and, and I think that's important. And, and not that I'm going to sit here and try to defend Bob. I know Bob. I've had him on the show many many times. Right. I, I quite like him. He's a, got a great sense of humor. He's a, I, I, I had him on the show when he was the premier back in those days. And I, I remember telling him during one of the news breaks. I, I think it was the second or third time he was in in the studio, and I said, "You know, I, I love having you. Know, I, I don't, I'm never going to vote for you, but I, I love talking <laughs> with you. I mean, he's just a he, he's a knowledgeable guy, and he's very in, in, insightful. He's got a great sense of humor. He's he's a you know a, this good sort of guy and and good guy to get to know. But he was just he was the wrong guy at the wrong time, and and it wasn't just in Ontario. I mean, it was there was a, a huge huge recession that went on then. Uh, but as you point out in the piece, Tim, it's interesting, a lot of the, the fiscal policies that, that people are still chiding him for have been embraced by, by successive governments, I mean, including Jim Flaherty and, and, and Stephen Harper. I mean, when they got hit with their recession in 2008, they tried to spend their way out of it.
0: They did. Um, two things conspired uh, to make life pati- uh, particularly difficult for that government. You mentioned the recession. It was the re- worst recession in half a century. and and uh, Ray and his um, uh, treasurer, Floyd Logren, uh, always now known as Pink Floyd, yeah. uh, they did try to spend their way out of it um, by rolling up deficits that uh, had at that point never been contemplated uh, in provincial history. It just uh, it, it put people's hair, hair on fire. But you're right. Um, the feds have done it. Kathleen Wynne uh, right now is... Uh, She's She's making
1: it an art form now. Yes,
0: she is. (laughs) She's carrying around a platform that's got such a deficit, I don't know how the bus moves. But the uh, Ray government also was ahead of its time in in promoting diversity and gender equality and uh, uh, police treatment of uh, minorities and same-sex rights, um, all of which seemed, I suppose, a little radical back in the early 90s. But it all got overshadowed by the fiscal problem, and then he got mired in a constitutional debate, the Charlottetown Court, yeah. where he, he, he tried to do what Ontario premiers have always done, which was to take a, a national leadership role. Um, but that backfired on him as well, because that sort of became a, a referendum on, on Brian Mulroney. Uh, so he got bogged down in the, in the constitutional crisis. He was dealing with a, um, uh, a complete financial um, basket case. And... He didn't really have a lot of talented people around him, either in caucus um, or, um, frankly, in in um, uh, positions of uh, power within the government. Uh, I,
1: I thought that the at climate. the time, and, and yeah, as you may recall, uh, you know, a num- he had a handful of uh, cabinet members from Hamilton uh, that were, you know, initially anyway, mm-hmm. uh, and and of course they all turned on him after they got defeated by Mike Harris back in 1995. Uh, and started, you know, but I think what it was was the defeat was so so enormous at that time that they needed a fall guy, and it was going to be Bob Ray. That's and you know, and they were, as you said, they were attacking him left and right. And that's, I said to a couple of them at the time, I said, "You guys were all in cabinet. You all voted for all this stuff too. I mean, why are you blaming him? I mean, you you got to share some. No, no, no." I said, "Well, you know, it is what it is." Well, uh, I, uh, I, 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 they were not ready for prime time. That, that's no, really what it came the, down to. I saw the uh,
0: federal fallout of that bill. I was on the. Uh, 1993 um, NDP federal campaign, which was um, uh, uh, just a terrible uh, ordeal, a terrible hostage taking. Those are long campaigns back then, and it was known by week two. This campaign, this party federally, wasn't even going to get official party status. Uh, Audrey McLaughlin didn't want to uh, campaign. By the end of the uh, uh, by the end of the race, we used to uh, uh, refer to people on the plane who couldn't get off as lifers, and those who got. Uh, you know, relief for uh, parolees. It was a terrible, terrible campaign. And that was a direct legacy of what was happening midterm in Ontario with Bob Ray. And there were defeated um, federal uh, NDP MPs who were calling on Ray to resign mid, uh, in the middle of his, uh, of his tenure. So, you know, you for, you, it's hard to forget, really. You know, there was a lot of damage done uh, in those five years, and it stuck. It, uh, there was damage done to the federal party. There was damage done internally to the uh, provincial party, and uh, a lot of damage done uh, in uh, the natural uh, alliance between the labor movement and the NDP because of the, the social contract.
1: So, talk to us about the transfer. You know, the, the, it's been a while, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. It's, it's been a long, long time. Uh, can even the—I I know there's going to be this young cohort right now that, that don't even know who we're talking about, this yep. Bob Ray guy, you know but but the legacy is still there. Uh, but can the older voters, and let's face it, older voters tend to vote, uh, can they forgive and forget? Can they turn the page and pretend that, well, that was then, this is now? Well,
0: that's a very good question. Um, you know, I have seen it up close and personal. I remember the 2011 federal campaign when uh, the, the Jack Layton orange wave was, uh, was very late in the campaign. We could, It was sweeping through Quebec, and it threatened to pour over the, the border in Ontario, and I was in eastern Ontario for a couple of days with Stephen Harper, and he invoked the name of Bob Ray, and, it, it, uh, you know, these largely older uh, conservative supporters uh, it, it, at these rallies, you could hear the, the the room just chilled at the mention of Bob Ray. There may be a little bit of residual staying power there, but I think Andrea Horvath has actually done a very good job of that, just very simply uh, pointing out that, you know, uh, this is not 1990, and I'm not Bob Ray, and, uh, as she says, take that for what it's worth. It's it's been a long time. Um, possibly the problem that Orvath might have at this point is she's she's going to have to withstand the type of scrutiny that, frankly, Bob Ray never had to um, withstand in 1990 because there was, there wasn't as much polling done. There was hardly any polling done in 1990, and he, he got a bit of a free ride until very late in the campaign. In fact, they had internal polling data, as the story goes, that showed they were going to win, and they, they, they didn't share it with anybody. They, they they kept it under wraps in case it, it spooked voters uh, or, or even panicked their candidates. So she's she's running um, a, a campaign, I think a very strong campaign, but there's a couple of factors. She's, she is going to be put under much more intense scrutiny, um, and this has nothing to do with uh, Bob Ray legacy. And she uh, she's in the middle of a change election, so When people look for change, when they turn to who they see as a change agent, in this case, the provincial NDP, sometimes that support isn't nearly as deep as you'd like going into uh, Election Day. So, you know, these who knows? I have no idea what's going to happen on June 7th, but I think she should be able to swing through the next two weeks without having to answer questions about Bob Ray.
1: Are you surprised they haven't tried that the Bob Ray ghost uh, yet? Is, you mentioned Harper using it uh, in that federal election. Well, a lot of the guys that were uh, pulling the strings in that election are working for Doug Ford now, and, and you would have thought they would have employed that same strategy, or did they oh, not take the NDP seriously?
0: No, Well, no. I think they have. I, I, Doug Ford has mentioned Bob Ray uh, on the hustings, and, and yesterday on a radio debate on a Another network, as they say, Jenny Byrne, uh, who was uh, uh, a Harper campaign chair, who was, um, uh... front and center on the Ford campaign, she started on about well, people remember uh, what Bob Ray uh, and um, it went nowhere. Uh, wasn't challenged by anybody. But it, you know, you hear that, and my first thought is, I don't know, do they really remember that Jenny Byrne? I don't know, but no, I don't think it's a question that they haven't tried it. I, they have tried it, and. Uh, um, I I expect him to, to, you know, throw that name out uh, more often. I think it's going to, to get used to
1: uh, the leaders' debate on Sunday evening, the televised debate. I would think that that's got to be one of the tools he's going to use. I bet on it,
0: yeah. Um, so, you know, it's in their arsenal. I, it's an open question as to whether it's going to work any longer. But, you know, you look at um, uh, political history in this country, and, and you know, this, some of this stuff has an incredible shelf life. The... Uh, National Energy Program and the Federal Liberals turned Alberta into a wasteland uh, uh, for generations. Um. Uh, It was used in um, uh, the NDP boogeyman, was used uh, in British Columbia when I worked out there quite effectively by the Socrates by just invoking the name of Dave Barrett, uh, who ran an NDP government there in the the early 70s. So, you know, uh, you keep trying it until it doesn't work anymore. And, uh, uh, you know, if I'm a PC strategist, uh, you know, I'd throw it out until I, I know on June 7th that it didn't work.
1: It's it's going to be interesting to see just what they employ, because if you believe the polling numbers that we got earlier this week, Tim, uh, clearly there's going to be a change of strategy now. I mean, in, early in this campaign, Ford was going after Kathleen Wynne. Uh, I don't know that that's going to be the smartest thing to do right now. It seems as if his foe right now is Andrew Horvath, and it's going to be interesting to see just how they're going to uh, you know attack that, because obviously it's going to be a different strategy.
0: Yeah, I know the NDP
1: strategy, Bill, is uh,
0: they've, they've actually, uh, I think, believe, uh, I think they've outperformed, uh, or, or they're somewhere right now where they didn't expect to be. What they were hoping would be that um, Ford and Wynn would go after each other for most of the campaign and that uh, that they could use Kathleen Wynn to try to take down Doug Ford and they could build their support week by week and, and peak around Election Day. I, I would suspect there is uh, a little bit of... Um, uh apprehension in NDP um, some NDP quarters and that perhaps the party under Andrea Horvath has peaked too soon uh and the NDP does have a history of not uh not always being able to uh close the deal um, uh when we go to election day but you know other than the timing i think this thing this campaign has rather unfolded uh along what strategists were telling me pre-election that they wanted to keep uh Horvath um, Upbeat, positive, uh, let the Premier uh, try to be the one to take down Doug Ford, throw dirt. Um, and, uh, you know, this is, a, frankly, a different Andrew Horvath uh, out on the campaign trail right now than Andrew Horvath I've seen in the past. There's a spring to her step. She looks quite confident. And she's staying on message. Uh, and when there are missteps, and there have been missteps, she's, um, she's handled them fairly well
1: i got about 30 seconds left here, but just a final point that you made out in the article, I think is very germane to this, is if the, if the Ford team is going to try to play the, the fear card about the NDP, uh, that cuts both ways, obviously. Uh, and we may end up voting for the party that we fear the least here.
0: Yeah, and that is one thing uh, that sometimes why the fear card doesn't work, is that uh, Ford and um, uh, the, the Harper transplants uh, on his team, may not be the best messenger trying to uh, sow fear in you know, an opponent, because I think there, there are voters who, who, who look at that campaign and that leader and find them uh, plenty frightening themselves. So uh, it does take a um, perhaps a more stable messenger to properly sow the fear. But, uh, you know, I agree with you. Uh, we'll see. I think we're going to – this is certainly not the last time we're going to hear Bob Ray's name. Um, and meanwhile Bob is uh, happy to just be a, an observer He's got other fish to fry The funny thing is uh, His government here has been vilified For years and years and years and years It's never hurt him personally He's managed to get uh, elected uh, everywhere he's run since then And as you say has carved out a quite a stellar career in public
1: service Incredible career Maybe yeah. we'll make it a drinking game for the debate on Sunday How many times I mentioned <laughs> this I'm just thinking Tim, thanks as-, beer, <laughs> <laughs> thanks as always We'll talk again soon Tim Harper, check it out in the Toronto Star today.
0: The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. For most
3: of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does.